Good morning. I tell you what, they like savings time is rough on y'all. I look out there and I'm like, man, either the message last week was really bad or really tough or daylight savings took a bunch of people out this morning. So uh, we'll probably see them about 12 and they realize the hour has changed. Uh, today we're going to continue the series, The End of Me. And in this series, we're looking at how if we're going to follow Jesus, we have to come to a place where um, we begin to lay down our life. We take up our cross, as the Bible says, and, and we begin to live for him. He becomes the center of our life, and no longer are we the center or someone else the center or something else the center. And so we, we see that to follow Jesus means that we literally, we die to ourselves so that we can live the life that Jesus has given us, the, the life that he has placed in us through his spirit. And so that's what this series is all about. If you want to turn in your Bibles uh, to Exodus chapter 20, we're going to read verses one through four, and then we're going to jump over uh, to verse 22. So there at the very beginning, go to Genesis, keep going a little bit to the right, and you will run into Exodus. And so Exodus chapter 20, while you're turning there, I will say this, we finally figured out what's wrong with the wireless mic that I normally wear, and it's actually not something wrong with the mic, it's something that's wrong with me. Um, we found out that that mic is actually not waterproof, and so... They finally figured out that what was causing it to quit working was my unhuman, ungodly sweating. And so now I have a handheld. But until we can find one of those that's waterproof or we get one of those from SeaWorld or something like that, I'll be using this one. So. Anyway, that explains that. If you were wondering why I'm holding the microphone, it's because something is bad wrong with my body. I don't know exactly what. Um, Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. Let's read this and jump over to 22. Then we're actually also going to flip over to Matthew chapter 19 and read a few verses, and then we'll pray and we'll talk about these things. It says, in verse one, and God spoke all these words. This is God speaking to Moses as he gives the 10 commandments. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall make, not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. If you look over to verse 22, it says, then the Lord, this is after he's given him the commandments. He says, then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites this, you have seen for yourselves that I have spoken to you from heaven. Do not make any gods to be alongside me. Do not make for yourselves gods of silver or gods of gold. Make an altar of earth for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, your sheep and goats and your cattle. Wherever I cause my name to be honored, I will come to you and bless you. If you make an altar of stones for me, do not build it with dressed stones for you will defile it if you use a tool on it. And do not go up to my altar on steps or your private parts may be exposed. I don't really know what to do with that last verse, but 
I'm going to talk about the other ones in just a second. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16, it says, Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, and this is Jesus with the rich young man as he encounters him one day. He says, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? This man is asking, what do I need to do in order to enter the kingdom, in order to... Uh, um, be with uh, the Messiah and enter his kingdom, what must I do? Jesus says, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. He's saying, if you want to enter the kingdom, then be perfect. Keep those commandments perfectly. Which ones, he inquired. He's still trying to figure out what he has to do. He says, Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these things I've kept, the young man said. Jesus said, sure you did, you're lying. He didn't say that really, y'all aren't even following along, right? All these things I've kept, the young man said, what do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Well, let's pray and ask the Lord to move through his word. God, thank you so much for your word that we get to read today, that we get to hold in our hands, that we get to experience, God, and encounter. And I thank you that when we open your word, we don't just read, but we encounter you. It's your word. It's living and active. And God, thank you that we can be here together today and as your church, as your body, to worship and celebrate who you are. And God, today, I pray that you would challenge many assumptions that we often hold on to as believers and churchgoers and God, if there's anything that's between us and you that we've elevated to be greater than you in our lives, I pray, God, that you would move by the Spirit and God, that you would remove that as we let it go. Lord, we thank you that you are here, that you are powerful, that you are faithful, and that you're good. And God, because of that, we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I want to kind of look at both Exodus chapter 20 and then also look um, with an eye towards Matthew 19 because I believe that they're both dealing with a similar issue. If you notice in Exodus 20, as Moses is talking and are being talked to in the beginning uh, there, as God is giving him these commandments, the very first one is that we would have no other gods before him, that nothing would come between us and God. And so if we're going to follow Jesus, just as we talked about in the name of this series, there comes a point where we have to die to ourselves, um, truly letting go of everything else, taking up our cross, meaning laying down our life, dying to us so that we can then follow Jesus. And so he's telling us, uh, God is through Moses and the 10 commandments, not to have another God before us. If you go to Matthew chapter 19 and you see Jesus talking to this man, you see quickly that Jesus is identifying in this man's life something that has come between him and God, something that is more important in his life than God. 
something that is really receiving his worship rather than God. And so he deals with his riches. He deals with his wealth that he's acquired. And he tells him, look, you've done a lot of these things, but this thing you still lack. And he says, you lack the very first commandment. He's saying, this is the commandment that you've clearly broken because you're not willing to lay down your wealth. You're not willing to walk away from it to follow me. And so Jesus is so wise and he gives him these commands and the the young man is able to say, well, yeah, I followed those. And Jesus says, well, this one last thing. And he points out to this man an idol that's in his life. And so we see the very first commandment and we see um, that, that what Jesus is dealing with is this idol or this object of worship. An idol is not just some trinket or something that you have on a shelf or you've made an altar to at your house. That, that, that can definitely be an idol, but an idol is really anything that we've elevated higher or greater than God. It may be wealth, it may be our children, it may be our spouse, it may be our job, it may be us. It could be anything that is elevated to the position of God in our life and that we actually have put our faith in, our belief and trust in rather than God. And so as we're looking at that, both of these scriptures are really dealing with the same thing. I think, though, that it's interesting in Exodus chapter 20, when you get over to verse 22, that Moses, after giving the commandments, begins to talk about idols. And what he begins to say is, look, don't have these idols in your life. And he says, when you make an altar, and he gives these um, words of how the altar should be made and how it should be approached. And he even says, if you're going to build an altar with stones, don't don't make it with a tool. Don't make it the, 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 the point of focus. Don't, in other words, don't mix your idols with your worship. Don't create something that begins to take the focus away from God and you begin to mix idols with worship. Don't bring your idols to the altar. Don't bring your idols into worship. And as I've been thinking about this scripture and thinking about Matthew 19 and how I see all of that tying together, the idol that I feel like God has put on my heart to deal with um, is a very subtle one. But we know that Jesus... um, is wise. We know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And to counter that, we know that Satan is exactly the opposite. But we also know that Satan is very cunning. He's very deceitful. He can be very subtle in how he does things. And I believe that in this way, we, the church, in many ways have been deceived. And the very idol that I feel like God's been speaking to my heart about is our worship that we do on Sundays. It's it's our church, it's our church life that in many ways has become an idol in our life. It's become something that we begin to worship. It's the the action that begins to take the place of God. What I've seen happen, and I I don't know, I guess most of you've probably been to the beach and and you've probably seen uh, the waves and most of you probably have stood in the ocean and, and you 
you, you're standing there and you can literally feel the wave beginning to come. You can, you can feel it start to draw you back, right? You can feel it's kind of pulling you out into the ocean. And then it begins to swell and it builds and it builds and it builds. And finally it crests and it has this huge momentum and power. If it's big enough, it, it destroys things that's in its path. It, 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 if it's big enough, it, it'll, it'll carry you to the ocean, like to the shore, to the beach. And, and even for me, like um, when I, a wave is big enough, like I can get on that wave and it can carry my big fat behind all the way up to the beach. And, and it can carry 215 pounds of pure muscle straight up to the shore. And, and, and it's just powerful. It's, it's impressive how powerful it is, but eventually that wave and its momentum begins to die out and it gets to the beach and it begins to recede and eventually another wave comes in its place. And as I've been praying and thinking the last few weeks, I believe that what God has put on my heart and what I believe I'm seeing is that throughout history, God has used these different waves. He's used different means, different contexts to bring the same truth to people. He, he's used different forms, different uh, ways of getting the gospel to people. You can look through history beginning with Jesus and see these different movements of God, whether it was the Reformation or coming into the 1900s and you see the power of the Crusades that took place in the mid 1900s and then you get into the 70s and 80s and there began to be a, a bigger focus on the Holy Spirit, not just in the charismatic church, but also in the denominational churches. And then in the early 90s or so, I guess you come into this contemporary movement where, 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 you know, out of, uh, what people had known as church, this movement with guitars and drums and all this stuff begins to take place. And people begin to exodus the traditional church. And they go to this uh, new form of worship that is the same content in many ways, um, the same gospel, but it's just in a different way. And that way seemed and in many ways was authentic. It was real. It was different. It was something that, that felt alive. And so people were drawn to it. And then you kind of come into the early nineties up until present. And what you kind of see is this movement that has kind of been a, the mega church movement kind of thing, where you look across the United States and the typical church is dying. It's receding. It's, it's um, not growing, but you've got these churches here and there that and they're, they're growing and people are getting saved, but it's sort of this thing where you see these churches that are, are reaching people, but it seems like everywhere we're watching churches decline. And, and I believe this, I believe that that movement too is going to come to an end. I believe it was going, is going to be sooner than later. I'm not saying that mega churches will cease to exist. I'm not saying that contemporary churches will cease to exist. I'm not saying the traditional church will cease to exist. What I am saying is if we don't focus differently, what's going to happen is they will be or continue to be ineffective. Because here's what's happened. What was contemporary has now become traditional. And what was alive and new and different has now become expected. And what happens when 
we move from a focus on worshiping God to a repetitive action that we continue to do over time is tradition begins to form. And it's easy for us to get to a place where we begin to no longer worship the reason that this was started, but we begin to worship what we started. I sense that that's where things are getting. I I really have begun to see and realize that when the contemporary church came out of the traditional church and it began to um, move and and, and it got to a point where the contemporary church kind of looked down its nose at the traditional church and kind of felt like we've got it figured out and the traditional church kind of hated the contemporary church because people were leaving and going to that church. And I look at that and I'm like, well, that doesn't seem right because it didn't bring unity. It didn't bring, it brought more division. And so when I look at it, I'm like, what's God going to do? What's next? I think people are looking at the church in general, the big C church and those on the inside and those on the outside are seeing the same dysfunction in both. They're seeing the same inauthenticity in both. They see us just going through the motions or going through the actions in both. And I feel like the thing that we've got to do as the church is to be willing to admit that maybe we've gotten the form ahead of the function. Maybe we've forgotten the power and the purpose and we've settled for a program. Maybe we've quit pointing people to a savior and we've pointed them to a system. The question that was kind of on my heart to ask you today is this, and it's a simple question I've asked myself even, but why am I here? What made you come in here today? Why did you lose an hour's sleep and still get here? What was the motivation behind that? Why am I up here? Is my motivation right? Is it authentic? Is it an overflow of my relationship with Jesus? Are you here today worshiping God from an overflow of your relationship with Jesus? Are you here today because you've realized what who God is and then you've realized who you are as a sinful person just as I am and then you realize what God has done and then you realize who you've now become because of what God has done and the gap between who God is and who you were and now who God has made you is so great that you see the greatness of Jesus and so that now you are motivated to worship. Is that our motivation, is that what we came for? Is that why we're here? Because what I see in church a lot is this, guys, and I'm gonna be very honest with you today. I hope I always am, but what I see in church is a sheep grab. It's a sheep grab. It's different churches trying to see how many of the sheep they can get. It's trying to 
see how many people we can get in a seed or it's trying to make Jesus the most attractive and the most easy so that people will want to come. And the problem with that is we appeal to the most, the worst part of humanity, which is our selfishness and entitlement to try to get people in the door, but then we tell them, look, it's not about you. And the church in a way is sending conflicting messages. It's crazy, but it's almost like the church is competing to see who can feed people's entitlement the most, who can make it most attractive, who can make it most appealing. People no longer go to where they can serve best, they go to where they can be served best. People come through the doors as they look at a church to see how good the worship team is, to see how good the preacher is. And my job is not to be good, it's to point you to the one who is good. My job is not to entertain you, my job is not to comfort you all the time. My job is to lead you to a real relationship and authentic relationship with Jesus. I've realized the longer I've been in ministry that we can't drag people where they don't wanna go. I've realized that more and more and becomes more and more obvious that it's completely a work of the Holy Spirit. I've realized that until we get to a place where we no longer want to or mix our idols and our worship, when we're finally willing to lay down those things that we've made greater than God, I realize that we can't make that happen. But I believe what was traditional has become contemporary and now we're all in a place where we've got to evaluate what we do, but most importantly, why do we do it? What is the motivation? I believe this, that the church for a long time and throughout the centuries and for sure today has oftentimes tried to manipulate a response from people. And there's a huge difference from the church manipulating a response from someone and the Holy Spirit leading someone to repentance. We can't focus on a response. We can't focus on how people react. We can't even focus on what is someone's behavior. What we have to focus on is people coming to the knowledge of Jesus and the fullness of the Spirit and them fixing their eyes on Christ so that they can run the race that he's called them to run. But in so many ways, we've settled for manipulation, we've settled for a response, and manipulation is really handling or controlling a situation, especially in a way that is deceitful or unfair. And the church has liked the manipulation because it gives the church control of people's actions. 
People like the system. They like the program because the program and the system tells them what they should do. And that is good to an extent. That's why we have next steps is to help people get involved in community, in the church, the body of Christ, not the building. And that's good to an extent that that we can help people take those next steps. But listen, the church has a few next steps that we can help you take and help you get plugged in. But even in this crowd, there are thousands of next steps that are represented that I cannot tell you. We have made people more dependent on us than we have on God. And our focus, our motivation, our goal, our aim has to be that we truly connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus, a relationship in which they are being led, a relationship that is authentic, a relationship that is real because God is real and God is alive and the tomb is empty and Jesus did um, rise from the dead. He did ascend into heaven. He does sit at the right hand of the Father. He has come as the word made flesh. He's, He's given us the word that is living and active because he's alive, because his word's alive. We can be in a relationship with a real alive God. But our dependence can't be on someone, it has to be on him. Our motivation can't be to make ourselves good, it has to be pursuit of him. I'm afraid that what's happened is we've only taught people to listen to the voices of a few people instead of listening to the voice of God. There's no doubt that God speaks through the preaching of his word. There's no doubt that God speaks through other people, but so many times what we look for is for Brandon Williams or David Platt or Matt Chandler or John Piper or Francis Chan or Stephen Furtick. I'm trying to cover the whole spectrum. to tell us what we need to do. And we do hear from God through people. We we definitely do, especially in community, but are we hearing from God ourselves? Is that relationship alive or am I dependent on someone else feeding me what God has invited me to the table to eat myself? When we talked about Galatians 5, I want to read this to you real quick. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. We went through the book of Galatians. We got to 19, and it says in verse 19, the acts of the flesh are obvious. And then he goes through and he talks about these acts, these actions that are some of the sins that we could commit. And, And through that message and through um, that, that particular series, we talked some about how sin is really temporary empty actions that must be repeated over and over again. And so if you look at that, the things that we do to try to fill ourselves, if there, it's not God, then it's a temporary empty action that we try to repeat over and over and over again to fill ourselves. But 
we can never fill ourselves because we're meant to be filled with God, not with sin. But if you think about that definition of a temporary empty action that must be repeated over and over again, then think about our church attendance. For many people coming through the doors of the church is a temporary empty action that we just repeat over and over again. And if you think about it that way, if our lips profess him, but our hearts are far from him, then our worship really becomes a sin because we're not worshiping him, we're worshiping something else. If it's self-centered, if it's motivated by something else, then it's not worship. It's a pursuit of our own agenda. If you listen to Hebrews chapter 10, the author of Hebrews in verses one through four says this, that the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. So he's saying what was given to Moses, the law, what all that, that, that taught us is a, a shadowing of what's to come. He says, for this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? He's saying, look, these sacrifices you're making, these sheep and goats and bulls and all these things. He's like, look, that's a foreshadowing of Jesus who is to come. He's saying those couldn't make you perfect. That's why you've continued to offer them. He says, otherwise they would have stopped being offered for the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and, no, and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. He's saying, look, the acts of the sacrifices just remind you of the sin that you have. It's not able to take away the sin and cleanse your conscience. He said, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Verse 11, he says, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. But when the priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he is made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And I read that to you because oftentimes what I see in our church life is very similar. It becomes a sacrifice that we make that is really sacrifice to the action or sacrifice to the behavior. It's not our offering to God. It becomes something that just as verse 11 says that day after day, every priest stands and perform his religious duties. For us, many times it just becomes a religious duty that we perform again and again and again rather than worshiping God. And, and when I say these things, guys, I'm saying them because I recognize them in myself as well as I do the body of Christ that many times this can become our focus. We kind of just go through the motions because it's what we've always done and it's what we're supposed to do. As I was thinking about this, I realized like that it's easy for the worship, it's easy for the church to just become those repetitive actions. It's easy for us to um, 
lose the, the reason, the meaning. And any times we repeat an action over and over again, over time, it has the potential to lose its meaning. And one of the things I would challenge today and challenge maybe our assumption on is the meaning of what we do, why we gather. Sometimes we can know the right action, but we've forgotten why the action exists. For instance, when I started going to church, I, I didn't go as a um, child, and in my later teenage years, I began to go, and I would do a lot of things, not because I knew why, but because I was told this is what you're supposed to do. So I would stand up at certain times, I would say certain things, but I had no idea why I was doing them. It was void of meaning. It was just something I did because this is what you do. So it had lost its meaning. And I, I had the feeling that for most of the people around me, it had lost its meaning as well. I would challenge us today to ask the question of has why I come here on Sunday morning lost its meaning? Have I begun to focus on the action or am I focusing on why the action exists? An action repeated over time has the potential to lose its passion. Just think about this, that know, to know the right things and to do them can be driven by what we ought to do, not what we want to do. And in church and worship and our relationship with God, it's not that we always have a desire to do that, a desire to, to do what uh, we know we ought to do, but the motivation should still be right. It should still be pure. It should still be what God has done and who we've become. And losing our passion typically is equated with us as God is not working. I can't tell you the number of times that somebody has come to me and told me, well, we just feel like we've got to move on because we don't feel like God is moving here. And what a lot of times, not every time that they're saying is that God's not moving in my box of expectations. God's not moving in the way that I think he ought to move. God's not doing what I want him to do. And so our worship and all can be driven by this emotion. It can become emotionally driven where we're looking for that goosebump. We're looking for that next thing and our passion begins to wane as we've repeated this action that has become meaningless over and over and over again. And I thought about it in relationship to this, that in many ways, it's kind of like that first kiss and probably the first time you kissed your wife or your husband, because I know none of you kissed anybody else, nor did I before you were married and that kind of thing. But that first kiss, it was like, wow, right? Like every you know, it felt like every hair on your body came alive and you're like, this is awesome and it was passionate. And I'm not saying that it's no longer passionate, but think about the difference in the first kiss and the thousandth kiss or the 2000th kiss. It begins to change a little bit um, from that feeling or that emotion. And there's 
passion that can still exist in the relationship, but it's not really driven by that emotion anymore. It's driven more by who that person is. It's driven more by what you've been through. It's driven more by what they've been in your life. It's driven by the relationship that you've cultivated over time. And that that relationship is so much deeper and so much better than a relationship that is just driven off of emotion. But if you equate that to our worship life, our church life, it oftentimes stops at that shallow emotional experience. We don't worship again because of who God is. We don't worship because of what he's done. We don't worship because of who he's made us or what he's brought us through, it oftentimes becomes centered on that action and the action does not have the ability to cultivate in us the right motivation and passion in a healthy way as we pursue God. A lot of times actions repeated over time lose their focus. We know the right action and we see the action as the point. It's really where the action, it becomes the means to the end instead of, or it becomes the end, not the means to the end. So we, we stop short of what the action, the worship, uh, the, the, the attendance, the Bible reading, all of those things are intended to do is when we read the scripture to be a good Christian versus reading the scripture to encounter and experience God in a real way is when we read the scripture to gain knowledge versus reading the scripture to have a greater revelation of who God is. Honestly, I'm not very impressed and I don't believe God is either with the amount of Bible knowledge someone has. I'm much more impressed with the amount of Bible that someone lives. I think for most all of us in here, we have plenty of Bible knowledge to keep us busy for a long time. If we just know the two commandments of Jesus, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, it's not a lack many times of knowing what to do, it's a lack of what I want to do and what I'm willing to sacrifice to do. And that comes from honestly a lack of revelation of who God is and what he's done. Sometimes over time, the action has a tendency to elevate itself in our mind and in our heart to equal the truth. In other words, the the context or how we go about our worship becomes the point and the focus and it becomes equal to the content, which is the truth of God's word. And so we get to a place where we say things like this is how we've always done it. This is what we've always done. This is how it's supposed to look. It's when the context, how we do it, becomes the way, the truth, and the life, instead of focusing us on Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. It's when we stick our stake in the ground of what we've always done and tradition, and we refuse to pull it up as God moves by. And so we're stuck in what we like and how we want it and 
how we worship and how we want to do things, even if God is telling us, hey, take that up and follow me. If we get to a place where we are so stuck in what we've done and how it's looked, we have no option other than God to pass us by. I don't believe that is an option. I believe we've got to consistently challenge why we do what we do and what we do. Once you get to this place where the actions lost meaning, the actions lost passion, the actions lost focus, that the, the way you do it has become equal to the truth for which you began doing what you do, then it loses its power. And you get to a place where church just has a form of godliness, but there is no power. The church has somehow made itself believe that we can cause someone's heart to change, that we can manipulate their behavior. And if they will get their behavior right, it'll make their heart right when it's exactly the opposite. The last thing that happens as we repeat actions over time and they lose their meaning, the passion, the focus, uh, the, the context, how we do it becomes the truth instead of pointing us to the truth. It's lost its power, then it becomes a burden. And so being here becomes a burden Everything about it becomes a burden and what was meant to bring us life no longer brings us life. In fact, it becomes a source of sucking the life out of us so that we don't want to do what God has told us will bring us life. And so we get disillusioned about what this is all about. We get disillusioned about what God has created the body of Christ for. And, and I honestly believe this, that as we see God move in the future, it's going to be a move back to authenticity. I don't know this. I, I feel like this, that it's going to be a, a move through God's people where the church is more defined by the people and the body of Christ and the community that they have with each other than it is defined on what happens for an hour to an hour and 15 minutes on Sunday morning. I believe it is gonna be a grassroots type of movement that the body of Christ is actually going into the places that they have influence and investing in people and inviting them to a relationship with Jesus not where the focus, which has often become true, that the focus becomes that hour to an hour and 15 minutes, what was meant to bring us life ends up being just a burden. I think that the action ends up draining us. It's kind of like when you first turned 16, and if you're like me, that's harder to remember than it used to be, but you first turned 16 and you couldn't wait to get in the car and drive. 
You couldn't wait to get behind the wheel. If somebody told you, hey, let's drive across the United States, you'd be like, yeah, I'll drive, let's do that. You were so excited. Now, if you told me we were gonna drive across the United States and I had to drive, I'd rather you pull out my fingernails, you know what I'm saying? Because it's just, would be a burden. It's lost its excitement. It's like every middle schooler, it's like, you know, they're asking almost every day or high schooler, you know, when do I need to shave? When can I shave? You know, and they want to shave so bad. And then you get to 42 and you're like, how long can I go without shaving? And what was exciting becomes a burden and it loses its meaning. It loses its focus. It loses its passion. It loses the power. And today, I, what's on my heart is this, guys, that, that we don't settle in that, that that's not what we're about, that we don't come here to be entertained. We don't come here to hear Brandon and then leave if he's not preaching. We don't have to text and call and ask, is Brandon preaching tomorrow? We don't leave at 12 because that's when church is supposed to be over. We don't do those things because we're here for a different reason. We don't depend on a system. We depend on a savior. We don't look to a program. We look to the power of God in Christ and the Holy Spirit in us. And that's what it needs to be. I think what God has been putting in my heart is that it's a refocus. It's making sure that we're where we need to be. We can't control the person next to us. The only thing we can do is take responsibility for our own relationship with God. And this is what I know. If people are going to have an authentic experience with God when they come in these doors, it's going to be because we have had an authentic experience with God Monday through Saturday. If they are going to have an authentic experience with God at work or at the ball field or at school in the classroom, and they're going to have that through you, it's going to be because you are having an authentic relationship with God. It's not just going through the motions. You know, I was thinking about this and all good preachers are supposed to have an action step. They're supposed to have the takeaway. They're supposed to have all these things and give you the next step. But honestly, I don't believe that's what I need to do. We have next steps that we would love for you to take to be a part and get involved in this body. But my heart today is this, is to point you to the one who gives the next step. It's to encourage you to pursue him. It's to challenge you to examine like, am I following or am I just showing up? Why are you here? Why am I here? What are we here for? And how did we get here? I can tell you this, the most important thing in my life has not been because someone preached a great message. The important thing in my life has not been 
um, because somebody gave me five steps to be a better person or four steps to be a better husband. The most important thing in my life has been to consistently come back to, even when I stray from it, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and watching God add all things to that. It's been the realization that if we will seek and we will knock and we will ask that God will do exactly what his word says, he will give us his spirit. This is what I know is that that is a way of life. We're gonna stray from it. We're gonna put ourselves on the altar as a living sacrifice, and then we're gonna wanna crawl off, but it's the Holy Spirit that continually brings us back. And I know this, that that lifestyle, that way of life, of turning to God, even when we turn away and consistently coming back by fixing our eyes on Jesus is the way we take the next step is the way God illuminates the path that we're supposed to take. And I want to be sure that that's where you're being pointed. The object is not for you to walk out of here and talk about how good the band was. It's not to talk about how good or even bad the message was. It's not to talk about, hey, he said 215 pounds of pure muscle. That's not the takeaway. It's to walk out of here and be amazed and in awe of God. And if that's determined by our actions, that's not very good. That's really not the point. The point is that I am encountering, I am following, I'm in a relationship with the living God. that he's leading, that he is speaking, that he is where my focus is, that he is my motivation and that I don't get caught up in a bunch of garbage that misses the point. That I get good at being before I focus on doing. I get good at being with God and seeing who he is and seeing who he's made me so that then I can do what he's created me to do. But we typically get those backwards where I do, and then I think if I do enough, then I can be in a right relationship with God. And so today, I, I, I really want us to focus our eyes on Christ. I want us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and challenge ourselves to ask the question of am I in this authentic relationship? Has my relationship with God become something else? Has it ever existed? And what does God have me to do? 
I want to pray for us and I'm going to ask that while I pray that the prayer team would come down here and if you're here and you realize I don't have that relationship then I want you to come and and I want you to talk with one of these prayer folks I want you to respond to God in the way he wants you to respond not in some response to anything else but if today's a day of salvation for you I'm gonna ask you that if you're putting your faith your belief your trust in Jesus for the first time that you would come and speak with one of them and allow them to help you and understanding what it means to follow Christ for the rest of us I'm gonna ask that you uh, just listen to God and do what he says if you need to come here and pray if you need to go home and pray if whatever you feel the Lord is leading you to do if there's something in your life that is like the man in Matthew 19 and there's something that has become greater than God and you feel you need to come lay that down then come lay it down if you feel like you're Worship has become like those priests where it's just a day after day religious duty, then I encourage you to put your eyes on Christ. Well, let's pray and ask God just to speak to our hearts. Lord, I thank you, God, for who you are. I thank you for your truth. I thank you, God, that the life we have in you isn't dependent upon us, but it's completely from beginning to end because of you it's because of what you do through your spirit it's what you do through your word it's what you've done through your son and God I I pray that you would speak to our hearts God don't let what we do become the focus God, keep our eyes on you and transform our hearts. Let us truly seek first the kingdom and let us set our, our eyes to see you and, and watch you work. God, let us be people who do seek and who do ask and who do knock. And God, as we pursue you, I, I know, I. I know that you will give us your spirit and that transforming power and the guidance will be there for us, Lord. Don't make don't let us be dependent on anything else. Don't let us prop ourselves up on anything else. But let our trust and our hope and our faith rest solely in you, Lord. God, we love you and we thank you that you love us and thank you for who you are and who you've made us to be, God, and how you're shaping us as we pursue you and walk with you through life, Lord. We love you and and we thank you, God, for all you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Go get another hour's sleep.